How many in this room today, you would say, I had a great week this week. Let me see you show of hands. Okay? How many would say, I had a mediocre week? How many would say, I had a horrible week? I'd like to start over. How many would say, I just had a week? <laughs> you know, nothing happened. It was just kind of you were there. Think to yourself, when do, you typically, when do we typically feel closest to our Savior? Closest to God? Is it when everything is just going wonderful? Or when you are in the midst of the pit of despair? For those Princess Bride fans in here, okay? Or when you're, when you're seriously, when you're in the pit, or when you're maybe on the other end of the pit. When do you feel the closest to God? Typically for me, when everything's going well, I forget. Anybody else there? I forget to spend that time with God I need to. In the midst of it, when I'm in the depths of despair, when I'm going through some struggle in my life or something's going on, I feel, I feel farther away from God. I don't feel close to Him. But when I come back to that point where God is to doing those things I know that God wants me to do, and I come to the end of that point of despair, the point of distress, and I remembered, I'm reminded that God was with me all along, that he didn't desert me, and I feel like super close to God. You know, I have this face-to-face conversation with God, a heart-to-heart conversation, and I know exactly that God has been with me all the time. I feel really close to him. Anybody else can relate to that? that that's, just, that's me. I, I know that's... And I get to the end of my distress point. I get to the end of that point of struggle in my life. And whether, whatever it may be, and you know, I got six, six girls in my house. There's a lot of stress points in my family. Just saying. That's just the way it is. Uh, don't talk to Regina. She's not here. Oh, she's watching. Hi, honey. I love you. Um, anyhow, there's a lot of stress points and that can happen in your life. But it seems like when you get to that point where... All hope is gone, and you remembered to do those things again that you should have been doing from the beginning all along, and you're reminded that God has been with you all the time. That's, see, that's where we're at this morning with Jonah. Here is the servant of God, the prophet of God, those speaks for God to the people of Israel. Old Testament pastor. Think of him that way. And even for him, when God told him to do something, he said, God, no. Not only am I not just going to do what you said, but I'm going to run the other way. And he learns through this process of running from God and God chasing after him and God getting in the, stuck in the intestines of the whale, we're going to read about a little bit this morning, and, and sitting in there and going through his misery, his little pity party, comes out at the other end, literally, comes out at the far, the far side of, the, of where he shouldn't have been coming out of. He finally decides to go and, and do what God's told him to do, still kind of with a naggy attitude. But here in the midst of being in the belly of the whale, he finds out that he is not alone, and he makes this 
faith declaration and his prayer, God, I know you're with me. And salvation belongs to you. I can't get myself out of this belly that I'm in. But in spite of it, I'm going to recommit myself to you. And see, what we've, we're going to look at this morning is, and we'll be reminded again that it's not necessarily so much about the message that God gives to us that he wants us to go and do, not about the acts and the works he wants us to do, but it's about the change he's trying to make in us. See, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells us that the purpose of the church, the purpose that we come together, the reason why we come together, the reason why we have Bible studies, the reason why we have small groups, the reason why we have all these things we do as the body of Christ in our church is not so we can just come and do things. Because I don't you, but I'd much rather be doing something like in my bed this morning, sleeping. Anybody else there? I'd much rather be, but I come together because I have a desire, and I have a desire not only just for myself, but for you guys as well, to draw closer to our Lord. Because it's not so much about what we're doing, but what God is changing and doing in us. And Jonah realizes that through his struggles, through his trials, through what he's going through in the belly of the whale, in his rejection, in his rebellion, in his disobedience, and then it's coming to the point where he says, God, I'm going to obey. There's a change being wrought in his life. If you remember back a couple weeks ago, when we first started talking about this story of Jonah. God told Jonah, I want you to go to the people of Assyria, to the capital city, to Nineveh, and I want you to preach the message of judgment on those people. Now, you think that Jonah be going, yeah, we're going to stick it to them. I mean, these are his enemies. These are the enemies of the people of Israel. And God's telling him, not only go to the people of Nineveh, your enemies, I want you to go and preach judgment to them because I'm getting ready to destroy the whole city, destroy the people. You'd think that he'd be excited about that. But instead, instead of going 550 miles this way to Nineveh, I'm going to make sure my finger's pointing right on the map. 550 miles this way, he decides to go to Joppa and charter a ship to take him 2,500 miles that way to the shores of Spain, to the city of Tarshish, to totally and completely run away from his obligation what God had asked him to do. And then we find that he's in the middle of the boat, and he doesn't just go to the boat and try to run away from God, but he goes down inside the boat trying to hide from God, trying to hide from the presence of God, as if you can hide from God, because God is as high as you can go, God's as low as you can go. You can't get away from the presence of God. And we're going to read this morning, just a couple minutes, that Jonah realizes that, and he's very thankful of that in the midst of his prayer. But as he's down there in the hold of the ship, hiding away, the storm comes up. God's trying to get his attention. He's still sleeping out. The other sailors and the other mariners, the Bible calls them, not just because I'm just a sailor. I kind of get on there. I do my little winds, my little tiny sailboat. These are mariners. No, these are the real men. My father-in-law will call them Marines. He, he is one. Always is. Always will be. These sailors, scared to death for their lives because of the storm, these are ones who have been out on the Mediterranean Sea for much of their lives, and they're afraid because the waves are doing this, and the wind is blowing like this, and they don't know what ends up, and they're, they're 
praying to their little gods or praying, as I call them last week, the little godlets because they're little tiny gods. They have no power. Um, they, they, they are up there. They're praying to these little personal gods and their families. And they go to Jonah, please get up. Come pray to your God because maybe your little God will be able to do something for us as well. Who do you serve? Who do you pray to? And he says, I pray to the God of heaven and earth, the one who made all this. And they're going, well, what are you doing sleeping, idiot? <laughs> get up off your rear. Come up out, out of here. You pray because, and he says, yeah, I know this is happening because of me. No, 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 you're not right. Let's cast lots and let's see. Let's pull the dice and see who the lots fall on to who's really at fault here and whichever who it is in our boat, that's who we'll know who to punish. And the lot fell on Jonah. And they said, well, Jonah, what do we need to do? He says, throw me overboard. Throw me overboard. I'm to be punished because I'm running from God. And as he's sitting there in the water, we don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us how long it was between the time he was thrown overboard to the time that the fish came to swallow him up. But as he's, I could picture him sitting in the water, watching the boat go farther and farther away. And if you've ever treaded water before, after a while you get tired. After a while, it's, it's no longer fun. And as the boat gets farther and farther away, he kind of gives up hope. Read with me, and this is where we pick up the story. Jonah chapter 2 this morning. Jonah's prayer, the prodigal psalm. We're going to read through all ten verses this morning. Then we have seven points. Don't worry, we'll still be out of here in time. Seven points. You're going, really? Seven points? You can't even get through three in 30 minutes. They're small points. Jonah's prayer. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Shall I, look, shall I again look upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed over me forever, and yet you brought me up, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then verse 10, we all... Know what happens next. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up on dry land. Lord God, this morning as we look at this psalm, this prayer of Jonah, I pray that you would reveal to us and open our hearts and minds. Let us take comfort in knowing and understanding that you not only hear our prayers, but you're always there answering our prayers as well. As we see the, from the life of Jonah this morning, Father God, encourage us and challenge us to stay faithful, faithfully on our knees before you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Seven things I want to talk to you about this morning about prayer, and they all kind of revolve around the same thing. Understanding how 
God answers our prayers. The how and the why. First thing we'll look at in, in verse cha- in chapter verse 2, not chapter 2, two chapter 2, verse 2. I'll get it out in a minute. As he answers us in spite of our guilt. I don't think any of us would disagree that Jonah was guilty. Jonah totally disobeyed God. God told him to go left, he went right. Literally, left, right. Well, right, left, right? In spite of his guilt, God still answered. Jonah deserted the plan of God, ran the other way, but yet God is giving him another chance. He's, he's hanging out there in the water. He says, from the belly, within the belly of the fish, he prayed this. And we don't know how, off, how quick it was before Jonah passed out. I, I, I don't know if Jonah stayed awake all three days in the belly of the fish, if he lost consciousness at some point in the belly of the fish. We know at some point from his, his prayer here that he at some point drifted down into the water and found the weeds that were at the bottom and they were wrapped around his head and he found the, the, the ground before the fish came and got him. But in spite of his guilt before God, God said, I'm not through with you yet. And I hear your prayer. I hear your cry of distress. Let's look in, look in verse 2. What does he say? He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. How many of you would be distressed hanging out there in the middle of the ocean? Yeah. Some of you would be like, I- I'm distressed hanging out in the deep end of the swimming pool. Like my father-in-law, he gets out there and just poof, sinks. He can't stay afloat. He tries to tread water. He just sinks. He says, out of the belly of Sheol, from the, from the depths of hell, I cried out, and you heard my voice. See, for me, that's very comforting. Because that means no matter how far I run away from God, he always hears my prayers. No matter how far I let myself go in sin, no matter how far long I've let myself go from reading his word, no matter how long it's been since I've actually spent time on my knees and real prayer, not just, God bless this food, thank you for what you've given to me today, amen. And for some of us, that's the only prayer we give in a day. At mealtime. And maybe then just once. You know, but no matter how long it's been since we've really spent time with God, he is there waiting for us to come back to him. Psalm 107, the psalmist echoes this very similar thought. He says, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they have rebelled against the words of the Lord and spurned the counsel of the Most High. I mean, these are people who totally disregarded God. In verse 12, So he bowed their hearts down before he bowed their hearts down with hard labor and they fell down and none with none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness to the shadow of death and, bur- and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man. These people had totally disregarded God's plan for them. They had not just disregarded, but disobeyed in, in their guilt still. God's waiting for them to come back to him. So as a believer, that encourages me. Because it means he's, not, he's simply there waiting for me to come back to him, but also for those who don't know Christ as well. No matter how far somebody rejects God in their lives, at any point, they can come back to him. 
that uncle, that aunt, that cousin, that brother, sister, that neighbor who's rejected God their whole life, who've stuck their hand up and said, God, I refuse to believe at any point in their lives. God says, you can come to me and I will hear and I will answer your call. Secondly, not only does God hear us in our guilt, he also hears us in spite of his judgment upon us. I mean, here we, I think none of us, we'd all agree that Jonah's being judged. Jonah has been tossed overboard and being judged by God. In fact, his judgment threatened the lives of these other sailors. God was so intent on bringing Jonah back to him, making, getting Jonah back to where he needed to be. Because remember, it's all about getting our hearts right that Jonah put these other sailors' lives at risk, and yet in spite of the judgment placed upon Jonah, God heard him. Look in verse 3. It says, For you cast me into the deep, the place of judgment. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And yet still there, God heard him. And God answered him. How many of you think that God, Jonah was in the water going, God, 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 I, I, I need you for, forgive me. God, God. In that spot, in spite of the judgment God had placed him in, God heard his call. See, Jonah knows who was really bringing judgment upon the boat. It wasn't those unbelievers on the boat. It was him. Because of his disobedience, judgment came. It's never a fun experience. It's never fun to experience discipline with her from God, from parents, from bosses. But it's comforting to know that God never cuts us off. His grace extends to us. You may be far from his blessings. You may be receiving his judgment, you may be receiving the, the bad end of the stick, but it simply takes someone on their knees saying, God, forgive me a sinner. I screwed up again. I messed up. I need to come back and receive your mercy again. And God's there waiting saying, thank you. That's all I was waiting for. John Piper says this, he says, Jonah ventured to pray for deliverance from the very God who threw him into the water and the God who threw him, in, threw him in heard his prayer and performed a miracle to save him. Even when God is displeased with us, he never brings us into affliction merely for the sake of punishment. His purposes always include redemption. That's exciting. I mean, when God judges you, it's not just for the purpose of making you feel pain. How many of you told your kids, this is going to hurt you more, hurt me more than it hurts you? You don't think that God hurts when he has to punish us? He doesn't punish us and bring us into affliction just for the sake of the affliction. He, does, he brings us and allows us our lives to move and be shaped so that we can draw closer to him because he is in the heart-changing business to draw us to himself, to make us more like him. Job 36 says this, He delivered the afflicted for by their affliction and opens the ears by adversity. Did you hear that? Let me read it again. Job 36 says, He delivers the afflicted by their affliction 
and opens their ear by adversity. In other words, the struggles that you are going through may be so that God's trying to get your attention to come back to him. Open the ear to your adversity. To draw near to God. I love the Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And James. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You run away from God, he's there, following behind you, waiting for you to turn. As soon as you turn around, guess where he is? As soon as you turn back to God, guess where he is? Right up in your face. Because <laughs> he's just waiting for us to turn to him. So he hears us in spite of our guilt. He hears us in spite of his judgment. Thirdly, God answers and delivers us from impossible circumstances. Verses 5 and 6. It says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deeps surrounded me. The weeds wrapped around my head. I love the picture. The weeds wrapped around my head like a turban, right? At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, and yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. I hope you'd all admit that is an impossible circumstance. Sinking down into the depths of the sea, sinking down into the depths where he finds land. Okay? That's pretty deep. He goes down there, he finds the land, he finds the seaweed, the kelp coming up from the bottom. It grabs him and wraps around his head like a turban. I love that picture, that image. Reminds me of the old beehive haircuts from back in the 50s. Any of you ladies had the beehive? I know a couple of y'all did. That's the picture I have of Jonah down there with this kelp wrapped around his head. See, these verses describe the severity of Jonah's situation as he was sinking, holding his breath. An impossible circumstance. And yet, God saw him. And yet, he's crying out, And God saw him and rescues him in that, that place where in your life right now, you're thinking, I can't escape. I can't get out of it. I can't, I can't, I can't. You hear the problem there? It's I. I can't get out of my situation. God, whatever's going on in your life right now that you're struggling with, the, the point of distress in your life, could be financially, could be job-wise, could be relational, could be some other personal issue that's going on in your life that only you know about. And you're thinking, I, we can't get out of it. I'm stuck with kelp wrapped around your head. God sees you, and he will rescue you. He can, if you call out to him. See, God let the circumstances for Jonah become impossible before he delivered Jonah. Ouch. I mean, we don't like to be rescued up on the top of the sea, right? Okay, God, I learned my lesson. I'm, I'm hanging out. I'm treading water. God, I learned my lesson. You're sinking down. He let Jonah get to the deepest point in his life where he had no place else to go except up, and God rescues him. 
is it's at that point in our lives where we learn to turn to God. We stop depending on ourselves. We stop depending on our spouses. We stop depending on our family. We stop depending on our jobs and all the circumstances around us. And we've, all we've got left is God. And we say, God, help. God, I need you. God, I can't do it myself. I give myself up to you. I withdraw that hand of disobedience. I need you. Think of even the disciples in the New Testament as they were crossing the Sea of Galilee. Jesus sleeping in the bow of the ship. Storms come up. They're afraid we're going to die again. What is it about people on the waves, right? On the, on the seas. They're out there. They're sure they're going to die. Wake up Jesus and say, Jesus, help us. Do something. We can't do it. We've been trying to row for hours now, and you've been sleeping. What's up with you? Did Ambien kick in? Or what? You know, and they're rowing, they're rowing, and they finally wake up Jesus and say, Jesus, 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 help us, help us, help us. He stands up and says, peace be still. At that point where they thought they were going to die, they finally turn to Jesus. And he reaches out and helps them. So in the midst of their guilt, Jonah's guilt, in the midst of God's judgment, in the midst of the impossible circumstances, fourthly, God answers us just in the nick of time. You know that God's timetable is not our timetable? Don't you wish he worked on our timetable? God, you see, i got a watch right here. Don't you see what time it is? God says, nope. Because <laughs> God's internal clock is just in the right, he comes just in the right amount of time. Look at verse 7. It says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. As my life was ebbing away, as he's being sucked down into the depths of the sea, as he's being hanging out down there, he's about to lose his breath, maybe he's even, the air's all out of his lungs, he's hanging out down there at the depths, just at the right time, God brings deliverance. In the very nick of time, Habakkuk 1.2 says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for your help and you will not hear? See, the prophet Habakkuk felt like his prayers were just hitting the ceiling. You ever feel that way? That God, I'm praying, God, I'm praying, God, I'm praying, God, I'm praying, and your your prayers just think, think. They never go beyond that. I felt that way. I felt that way. God, do you ever really hear me? God, are you there? God, I'm praying this. I'm, I'm doing what I need to do. Now, Pastor David keeps telling me to do this, and so I'm doing it. It's a faith statement. I'm just making, I'm throwing these out there. Habakkuk felt that way. See, what the story of Jonah teaches us, that we give courage to be unrelenting in our prayers, to keep on crying out to God, and believe that God will answer you in just the right time. Unrelenting in your prayer, cry out to God and believe. 
unrelenting. I mean, you never, never, never stop. How long, how many times does it take for you to pray before God answers? I don't know. Unrelenting. Crying out to God. Crying out to God. Crying out to God. And believe that your prayers don't stop there. He hears. And he will answer it just in the right amount of time. As Jonah was hanging out in the depths, maybe his last breath, the last little bit of air, and he was like, that's it, I'm done. The fish comes along. I mean, look, as my life was fainting away, I remembered you one last time. In the nick of time, you showed up. Fifthly, God answers us in stages. And not all stages are comfortable. Okay? I don't imagine that Jonah's prayer was this. God, as he's sinking down, as he's floating, God, would you please send a fish to swallow me and drag me along in the Mediterranean for three days and puke me up on the shores so I can go obey you? How many of you think that was Jonah's prayer? No hands, good. Jonah's prayer was this, God, save me. God, I need your help. He wasn't specific. I don't imagine that Jonah was at any point in his life where he's like, God, let me, give, let me tell you exactly how to fulfill your mission in my life. How prideful of us if we think we can dictate to God. I remember when I was in college, Regina and I went to Taco Bell and we sat down and we were mapping out our ministry plan. And you all have done that, the five-year, 20-year, 50-year plans. We, we sat in Taco Bell and had a napkin and we mapped out our ministry plan where we knew God was going to take us. And you know things on, how many things on that napkin happened? Zero. The only thing that followed through was that we went overseas. So I say one thing. And we already knew we were doing that. <laughs> the only thing that we, that we followed through on is that God gave us a desire and gave us an, a, more of a passion for going overseas and reaching people for Christ. We said, this is what we think God wants us to do. This is a possibility. And we trusted by faith that this is what God wants us to do on this old napkin. But none of that came to fruition. None of it. we finally realized once we got overseas that we needed to just submit ourselves to God. Say, God, whatever you want to do with us, we're open to it. You want us to work with teenagers over here? We'll do it. You want us to work with Korean? Koreans, we'll do that. You want us to learn Korean? That's a tough language, but we'll do it. Oh, you want us to work with North Koreans? God, don't you know how crazy people they are? Oh, we'll do it. You want us to learn to love the North Koreans? Oh, we'll do it. You want us to learn Chinese? We'll do it. God, you want us to go back to the States now? God, but it's, it's not, we don't know. There's weird people living in America now. That's a totally different culture from what we grew up in. And my kids don't understand America. They're going to struggle, but we'll do it. God, you want me to pastor a church? I told you the one thing I never wanted to do. 
I'll do it. Because God, I'm submitted to you. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Is that where you're at? Are you at that point in your life where you say, God, whatever you want me to do, whoever you want me to talk to, wherever you want me to go, whenever you want me to do it, I'm willing to do it. Because our timeline is not God's timeline. And he doesn't always answer us in the stages we think they ought to happen. See, in Jonah's mind, as God rescued him, do you think the fish belly was better than the weeds at the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> I think so. The weed, the, sitting in that fish belly, watching stuff go by, <laughs> had to be better than sitting at the bottom of the ocean hanging on to his turban. He didn't know what was in store for him. He didn't know that in three days he was going to be puked up on the shores. He thought he was a goner. He thought he was just going to be, his life was just to be extended a little more. At least he wouldn't starve. You ever thought about that? Sitting there in the belly of the whale would not have been very fun. And yet, God was using it for his salvation. On God's time. Sixthly, God answers us in order that we might, in order to win our undivided loyalty and thanks. Verses 8 and 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. And remember, he's thinking back, possibly even thinking back to the sailors with their little godlets and the ones they prayed to. It says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. They've given up the mercy of God, in other words. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You ever think that maybe one of the reasons why God rescues us and hears us our, our prayers is he's trying to get our full, undivided loyalty. He knows that as human beings, our loyalties can get divided. We're committed over here, committed over here, committed over here, committed over here. And he says, I want your full, undivided loyalty and thanks. Trust me for your future. Trust me for your salvation. Trust me, trust me, trust me. Not in yourself. Not in those around you. Trust in me. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 Tells us one of the reasons that God answers prayers so that we, our thanksgiving will declare the greatness of his glory. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. First, 2 Corinthians 1.11 says, Paul says this, You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Make sure that you are praying, make sure you're praying, make sure you're giving your thanks. And then God says this in Psalm 50, verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble. Hello. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. And what? You shall glorify me. What is the purpose of my life? Why has God got, brought me to the point where I am now? Why has God got you to the place where he's got you in your life? 
so that you can glorify him. So your life can glorify him. So that your family can glorify him. So that his name can be lifted up and exalted above all names. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians chapter 2. Glorify God. Why, why, why are you at the point of, in your life where there's a stress and distress and frustration and stuff going on in your life? So that your life can glorify Him. Why is everything good going on in your life right now? So that you can glorify Him. Why did you have a mediocre week last week? So that you can glorify Him. Why did you have a bad week? So that you can glorify Him. He deserves it. No matter what is going on in our life, He deserves our glory. He deserves the praise and all that we can give Him. In spite of our circumstances, we give Him the praise and glory and adoration. Number seven, I'm just going to touch on this. We're going to flesh this out over the next few weeks. God answers this in spite of our guilt. He answers this in spite of his judgment. He answers this just a nick of time. He answers this from impossible circumstances to win our undivided loyalty and thanks. And lastly, he answers this in our distress to help us become more merciful like he is. This is fleshed out in verses in chapter five, chapter three. There is no chapter five in Jonah. Chapter three, verses five and ten. He says, "And the people of Nineveh believe God." After Jonah gets spit out of the whale, he goes to the people and declares God's judgment. And verse five says, "And the people of Nineveh believed God." Then to verse ten, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them, and He did not do it. His mercy shown forth. See, you know, one of the last reasons why God answers our prayers is so that we can be merciful to learn mercy to become more like Him because He is a merciful God. His mercy, the book of Jonah tells us this, it's not the primary message, but it's one of the messages, that the mercy of God is not confined just to Israel, but extends to any people who would trust him and repent of their sin. See, the children of Israel thought that because we are the children of God, we are God's chosen people. We're the only ones God's going to bless. So God sent Jonah to Nineveh, and those people repented as well. And God's mercy shone upon them. Are you happy? I hope it... You know what? We're not Israelites either. We are Gentiles. We're just like those Ninevites. We're just like the Assyrians. We're just like the Babylonians. We're just like all other nations because we are all other nations. And God has shown his mercy and his grace upon us that knowing that anybody who simply bows their knee and they trust in him, God will come to. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that. That's, to me, that's exciting. That God does not withhold his love, his mercy, his salvation from anybody. 
but for us in this context of the prayer this morning. Know this, that the ultimate lesson about prayer in this book is that God answers us in his mercy to make us merciful. God answers us in his mercy to make us merciful. See, it's not about me, about my circumstances. It's not about you and your circumstances. It's about what God is doing inside of you. It's about what God is doing in your heart, your mind, your life to draw you into his presence, to make you more like him. Because if we're not coming drawn closer to God, we are risking the storms. If you're running from God, you're risking a storm. If you're rejecting what God has asked you to do, you're risking a storm. And you don't want to go overboard. So this morning, as you think of your life, where has God got you? At what point, what's it going to take in your life for God to get your attention? What's it going to take? Is it going to be getting to the docks and you look at the price of the ship and go, oh, I can't afford that. Okay, God, I'll follow you. Or you get on the boat, hiding down in the inside, away from the presence of God before you realize it. Or is it maybe when the waves start getting a little rougher, and then a little rougher, and then a little rougher before you realize it. Or maybe it's while you're in the air being thrown. You, you see the, the, the water coming. My mom used to pick me up and throw one, two, three, throw me in the water to teach me to swim. And it was always that spot where just before you hit the water, <gasps> you grab your breath. Maybe it's while you're being sucked down into the depths, into the pit of despair, grabbing for the kelp, taking your last breath. At what point do we turn? Back to God. Let me bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute this morning. As Drew comes, play our final song. Maybe in this room you'd say, Pastor, I'm, I'm somewhere along that spectrum and I need to seek God's forgiveness today. I've been running from God. I've been disobeying him. I've been seeking my own will and I need to get back on the right track. Would you lift up your hand? I just want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you all over the room. Thank you. And we'd say, Pastor, as, you, as you've been talking this morning, I realize that my prayers don't just keep bouncing against the ceiling, but God hears my prayers. And I need to be more and more and more faithful to just continue unrelenting, unrelenting, crying out, unrelentingly crying out, unrelentingly crying out, and believing that God hears my prayers. Pray for me that I will be unrelenting in my prayer life. Would you lift up your hands so I can pray for you this morning? Thank you, thank you, thank you all over the room. Thank you. Unrelentingly, unrelentingly. That's where the power is, people. Power doesn't come from within, no matter what this world tells you. The power comes from our eternal Heavenly Father.
So this morning as we pray, I want you to seek the power of God in your own life. Turn to him on your knees and restore that relationship. Lord Jesus, this morning as we pray, as we come before you, God, I asked for those who raised their hands that you would help them to experience the power of God in their lives. Let your Holy Spirit fill them that they might know and understand how much the God of heaven loves them. For every hand that was raised this morning, God, I ask you for your grace and your peace be upon them, that your mercy would overshadow them, that they would feel your strength and your power this morning. <laughs> Even Siri. God, I thank you that you are a merciful God who loves us dearly and does what is necessary to draw us to yourself. As we find ourselves in the pit, as we find ourselves struggling, God, let us not find our dependence in, in, internally within our own strength, our own power to find our strength within you and the strength that only you can give, that you might give us that peace that passes understanding. God, we love you this morning. We commit ourselves, recommit ourselves to you, to following and serving you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to stand and sing one final song this morning, so if you'd stand with us and sing.